Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. I believe in chapter 8 we left off, ready for verse 41. We're going to try and look at the section from 41 through the end of the chapter. It seems like a lot of verses, and we don't usually get through that many verses, but it's kind of a continuation of a dialogue here. And we'll see. If we don't get that far, that's okay. And if we do, that's great too. But uh, it'll easily continue on to the next week. Didn't have a chance to get my notes on the board yet, but there are a couple of things that I want you to be thinking about as we study this morning. I want you to think about a comparison. I'll write this as I go. A comparison of kingdoms. Comparison of kingdoms. Jesus is entering into a dialogue with the Jews that have confronted him, as we've been reading all through chapter 8. And they're getting to the point, remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about that great scripture Chapter 8, verse 32, where Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And we talked about the fact that Jesus is truth, and what truth means. Uh, and there have the, the conversation between the Jews and between Jesus is escalating. They do not like what he is saying. They do not like how he is uh, sounding like he's comparing himself to God. They do not like the fact that he says he is truth. You know, everything he's saying is coming across uh, bad to them. And they're going to argue with him about it. Um, you say that he has a devil. Exactly, exactly. That's how, that's how this thing devolves, if you will, this argument. But I want to begin with verse 41, or at least the second half of 41. Let's just look at the first uh, six verses to start with. And then we'll discuss some things. So this is John chapter 8, 41. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded and came forth from God. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Those are some bold words. <laughs> In your face, you are not of God. Amen. And this to a people who are very proud of being Jewish, of being the children of Abraham, of being the chosen people of of God. How can Jesus dare tell them they are not even of God? 
So we have a, a very strong confrontation here where we're coming and Jesus is saying, I'm truth. We're trying to get what is the truth. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I think in essence of what Jesus is saying to them is there are only two kingdoms in this world. You're either of the Father's kingdom or you're of the devil's kingdom. There's no middle ground. There's no maybe a third or fourth kingdom and maybe the other three or four are nice. I think he's really laying it out that there are only two ways. My Father's way, which is... Jesus could say, my way, by inference, you know, he and God are one. But yet Jesus is too humble. He never does that. Notice all the way through here the humility in Jesus' voice as he constantly always turns the hearts of people to the Father, to God the Father. I think that's paramount for us to understand. And John, the beloved who writes this gospel, does it better than just anyone else, I think, in the gospel. This gospel, just it just... You see Jesus' strength, but you also see his humility. And uh, I, wanna, I want us to kind of look at that for just a minute here. What can we say about the Father's kingdom? Well, we can say that the Father's kingdom is eternal. What can we say about the devil's kingdom? He's a liar. He's a liar. It's a kingdom of lies. And it's also temporary. Will the devil reign in this world forever? No. 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 Feels like it sometimes, though. Yeah. Feels like there's no justice. Feels like there's no truth. Feels like there's no, uh, you know, nothing good. I mean, sometimes as the world starts to devolve, I, that's a big word I'm using this morning, I guess. I'm not even sure if it's a real word, but it's what I'm trying to explain. Things are just devolving mm-hmm. uh, in our world today. And I think about the comparison between these kingdoms as I think about the state of of the world that we're in right now, the state of the church, that, that it, the Christian uh, faith, everything is under attack in our world. Everything that is good is under attack in our world today. This is 2018, the year 2018. And in the last 50 years, we have seen our Judeo-Christian culture, I'll use that big term, Judeo-Christian, you know, it, that, that heritage that comes from the Jews through Jesus Christ to the Christians and to the world, the Judeo-Christian culture, we have seen it literally go from top place in society to bottom place in society. In 50 years. I'm just throwing 50 out there because that's the, the decades that I've been around on this earth, and I've seen it happen. I've lived through it. Um, and we're not through yet. Yeah, if you're a Christian, no, that's a dirty word. That's right. It's thought to be a dirty word. And, and it certainly wasn't popular what Jesus was trying to call That's people right. to be Christians. He was trying to call Jews, who were, yes, God's chosen people, he was trying to call them to become like him, like, like the Father wanted them to be anyway. That's, this is why he came, to show us the way, the truth, and the life, John will say in another few chapters. And, and they don't want it. They're rejecting it. So now, as we look at this, let's think about some of the words that we're reading here. Their, their strong objection at first they say, we were not born of fornication. Now your Bible might not say fornication there. What, you, what are some of the other words that you have? Yours says, not, we're not illegitimate children. That's a fairly popular translation. Um, 
what is the what is the scripture trying to say here? Well, let's look at the Greek word here. The Greek word that is used in this passage right here in verse 41 is this. I'll write it on the board. It's called porneus. Porneus. You've heard of the word pornography. Mm-hmm. Porn, okay. Now this idea is, in the Greek language, uh, porneo is to view something, okay, to see something. But porneus means, literally means sexual immorality. So he is, they, they are saying, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father. They're starting to say, we're born of the father. Even God. I love that. Even God. You know, we are born of God. So they're setting up a comparison here between themselves and Jesus. What are they saying by insinuation? You know what it means to insinuate something. What does it mean to insinuate something? Well, they're trying to, they're trying to say a truth that is a lie or vice versa, however you want to put it. They're trying to say what they think is true. Exactly. Okay. They're trying to say it in a way without saying it. In so many words, sometimes we say. Why they're saying, we were not born of fornication, what they're saying is, we believe you are. Yeah. We believe you're illegitimate, Jesus. That's what they're saying. We don't believe this rumor that's rolling around your whole life of a virgin birth. Remember, that's not just a doctrine somebody read back into time. Right. Jesus grew up understanding that. You know, as he developed. Everyone knew. Mary and Joseph, there was no secret here that their story was this was a virgin birth. And they had, they, the world laughed at them. But they had to defend that story because it was truth. You know? So Jesus at this point in his life, he knows he was born of a virgin. But they're accusing him. They're insinuating that he's illegitimate. This is how far this argument's devolving. But they're legitimate because they have the heritage in their mind, of being children of Abraham, of being Jewish. And so Jesus says to them, (laughs) if God were your father, if God were your father, then you'd what? Love me. You'd love me. You see, I think this is very important for us to see. You cannot love God and not love Jesus. You cannot love Jesus and not love God. Why? Because they're one and the same. Because Jesus is of God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I handed out your Nicene Constantinopolitan creeds that I've been promising for a few weeks. And we're going to get there in just a minute here. But let's hear Jesus first. He says, If you were of the Father, you'd love me, for I proceeded and came forth from God. Now, that's huge. And in their mind, in the hearer's mind, these Jewish minds, they're not hearing it. Okay, but that's huge. Jesus isn't saying, I'm a prophet. He's not saying, I'm just a guy that's received a great message and you need to listen to me. He's saying, I proceeded and came forth from God. I came not of my own accord. But he sent me. Amen. Jesus is saying, I'm totally subordinate to my Father. Okay? He sent me. It's not my will. It's not my own accord. 
It's his accord that I come to you. And I pro- but he's saying more than that. By putting himself as proceeding from God, he is God. That, that which proceeds from something is that something. Okay? Um, think of our children. Okay? We have children. As human beings, we procreate. We have children. And those children are, are from us. You know, they're part of us. They're DNA. They're, it's, all, it's how it's put together. And, and what Jesus is kind of, it's kind of a, probably not, a, there's no good analogies in the world. You know that every analogy always breaks down. When you compare it to God, every analogy always breaks down. Because God is the ultimate incomparable. We can't explain God. We can't put God in a box. We can't explain Jesus' divinity and humanity. It's things that we have to receive by faith. And that's what he's asking them to do. So if you'll look on your little card that I handed out to you, and this is just a, this is kind of a nice size that you can just tuck in your Bible and keep it by your bedstand or whatever. This is a, the, the creed, the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, and we've talked about it before to refresh you, was first developed in the year 325 AD by the Council of Nicaea. Now what is Nicaea? That was a town or a city outside of, the city of, not far from the city of Constantinople, which is today, if you look at the world map, the city of Istanbul in Turkey, okay? But that was the center of the empire. Okay, the Roman Empire had moved from Rome when Constantine, the emperor, became a Christian, 313 AD. He moved the empire a few years later to Byzant- to, to uh, Constantinople, named the city, built the city, named it after himself, Constantinople. Okay, and it was the center. It was called the Byzantine Empire, the Byzantine Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, it went from west to east. The culture changed. The culture was different in Turkey than it was in Rome. People didn't speak Latin in, in uh, Asia Minor, where uh, Turkey is today. People spoke Greek. So we, we're changing cultures here. The Constantine, he, I, I think that's a beautiful metaphor, if you will, for going, that's not, not that the West was the darkness, I don't mean it that way, but it's just a beautiful metaphor of change, going from the Latin world to the Greek world. And so at Byzantium, the, the seat of power becomes, becomes known as the Byzantine Empire, and in 325 AD, the Emperor Constantine called a council together. What's a council? It was a meeting of all the the church leaders, so the bishops of the church, all got together from, a, from the known world at that time. And I believe there were somewhere around 300 uh, that were in that neighborhood of bishops at this council. And they were there because they had to determine an answer to something that was threatening to tear the Christian faith apart. And we know that as we read through the New Testament, there were many strange teachings about Jesus that were already in the first few decades. The New Testament is all written in the first few decades after Jesus' death. And so in those first few decades, there's already strange teachings about Jesus. Who is he? People couldn't understand how he could be God and these things. And so it was incumbent upon the leaders of the church after three, now we're 250 years later after his, but the year 325, we're almost 200 not quite 300 years because Jesus died in the year 333 AD or somewhere around there. We're getting a couple of centuries past Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's problems out there in the empire. 
There's whole churches that are being split because bishops are teaching a teaching about Jesus that is not right. Now, we covered some of this in the first chapter of John, from the very first words of John. So you may want to go back and listen to it. But let me remind you, the issue was that a bishop named Arius, A-R-I-U-S, had began to teach that Jesus was not God. He was human. He was a prophet. He was a good man. He did these great things. We should believe in him. But he wasn't God. He was the first of all created things. Well, that flies right in the face of John chapter 1. You can't say that unless you rewrite John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all that was created was created by Him. And nothing was created that was not created by Him. He is Creator. So you've got to rewrite the book of John (laughs) if you want to believe that. But yet, why did Arius teach that? Arius was a good man. Why did he teach that? He didn't know any better. Okay, perhaps. Definitely he didn't, but but why did he he should have known better? They you know he should have. Okay, you're going down a trap. You're saying maybe it was more popular, mm-hmm. but let me lead you a little bit. Why would it be more popular? Because some of the people didn't want to believe it. It seemed too unreal. Okay, there you are. There's the answer. It's too the other way is just too unreal. It's easier to believe yeah, that Jesus hard to take. Yeah. You see, everything about our faith, here and here, I get goosebumps when I think about this, okay? Everything about our Christian faith is unreal to us as humans. Because we're the created, Uh not the creators. We cannot know everything of the creator because we're, we're simple. He's divine. So in the pridefulness of humanity okay we want to understand any of you have the personalities that that kind of can't stand it if you can't understand something so you just keep trying to figure it out you know and and that's not bad i mean we wouldn't have sent people to the moon and we wouldn't have cured diseases and we wouldn't have done a lot of things if we hadn't had this drive to understand but when that drive to understand takes over our ability to submit to the unknown of God, then we've got a problem. We're trying to make ourselves as smart as God. See where we're going with this? And this is what what was happening with Arius. And he was teaching, so, well, that makes sense. Everybody thought, that's a whole lot easier to understand than this whole God-man business, you know. that, That makes sense to us, they said. And remember, they're not all dealing with printed Bibles that have had... You know, lots of scholarship, but they're dealing with scrolls, handwritten, copied, sent out here. This is an oral faith. Yes, it is written in the scrolls, but everybody just didn't have, hey, Arius, that's not what it says in my Bible. They, they, were, they couldn't do that. So it wasn't that hard to maybe lead people astray as it might be today. Although it's interesting to me that even in the modern era, this whole Arian heresy, that's what we call it, the Arian heresy, named after Arius, that Jesus wasn't the creator, that he's not equal with God, that he was the first of all created things, and that then he somehow had power to create things. That's still alive and well today. After 1,700 years, it's still alive and well today. 
And do you, does anybody know when it began to really rear its ugly head in full force? In the modern world? In the, uh, in the uh, 19th century, yeah, no, 19th century, yeah, the 1800s, by a man named Charles Russell. Charles Taze Russell. And he began to develop a faith of thought, a religion, if you will, a, a systematic belief that is today known as the Jehovah's Witness. And that's what the Jehovah's Witness yeah. believe about I knew Jesus there was Christ. There, but I couldn't remember what it was. That's what they believe about Jesus Christ. Yeah. He is their Arians. They, they believe he was the first created being. He's not God. And uh, he's God's son, and you need to take that literally. <laughs> so it's just straight. And then, of course, the Mormons have a version of that, too. And this is where all heresy begins. What does heresy mean? It's a truth that isn't the truth. It's a distorted truth. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a teaching that's gone awry. In all heresy, there is a, there is a glint of truth, exactly. but it's been distorted. Okay, it's a wrong teaching, in other words. Um, heresy would be the... This is why the opposite, the opposite of the word orthodoxy. Okay? You've heard the word orthodox because there's a church called orthodox. But the word orthodox, meaning, you know, we think of if something's right, it's orthodox. Mm -hmm. you know, that's the orthodox way to do it in our common vernacular of our language. Well, there's also a word called heterodox. Hear that, hear that comparison? Heterodox or heresy, meaning other. There are other ways to teach things. There are other ways to think about things. There are other ways. Well, here's the call of Christianity. There is one way. There are not many ways to view the Christian faith in reality. There is only one truth. There can only and ever be one truth or it's not truth. That's something we've lost in our world today too. Our world today, hey, what's truth for you is truth for you. and That's great for you, but it's not my truth. I mean, that's how far we've fallen. That's kind of that 50-year thing I'm talking about. There's always been those that have argued with truth. We see that even back here in the Bible in the days of scripture, in the days of Jesus. But today that's becoming the norm in our society. People that reject what's called, what I'm talking about is the difference between objective truth and subjective truth. If something is objective, it's, it's true because it is. Okay? If something is subjective, well then it's true because we think it. There's a difference between thinking something thinking about something, and it being actual, real, present. This is going to come in at the end of our study. At the end of chapter 8, we're going to come back to that idea of Jesus saying, I am. Talk about the present being, but we're, we're not quite there yet. I don't want to get ahead of us here. There's but no absolutes anymore. In our world, we don't believe in absolutes. Well, right? well we do, but... I mean, it's what you say by the royal, the royal we, you're right. The world, the world is stopping its belief in absolute truth. More and more it's lost that ability. It wants to believe whatever you want to believe. Let's all get along. It's all okay. Peace, love, you know. It's all okay. But you, I don't want to offend you. I don't want, you know. That's the way the world is thinking. It's okay for you. Great. But don't try and put that on me. That's, that's where we're at today. So what's the answer? Politically correctness. So you can't, you just don't want to offend anybody, so you just 
You just go with the flow. That's the world's answer. Y'all need to be politically exactly. correct. Even when you talk about religion, religiously correct or whatever. Well, well what is the answer, though? What's the, what's, what do we do about this? God, period. It just, it just... Well, the answer is we need to stand for the truth. Right. We need to stand for the objective truth. And how do we know what the objective truth is? Study the Bible. The scriptures, the holy scriptures, have never been proven wrong. Right. Sure, they. We've talked about that before. Is is are there little uh, in, incompatibilities and little geographical things in Israel? But there is no serious challenge to scriptures. If it would have been, it would have been debunked years ago. But the, as we know scriptures, we call it the Bible. In the beginning, it was just the scriptures. Okay. Um, the Bible is a collection of books about the scriptures, about the story of God. Now, in this context, objective truth, we have to learn to stand for it again. We've got to start all over. And here's what I believe. I believe this is so important for us to study the scriptures like that we're doing in the Gospel of John right now. Because I believe it's a parallel to today as much as ever. I believe our world today, our culture, 21st century America, Wichita, Kansas, right here in this community, we are back to the first century when Jesus walked the earth. I think that's where, that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Anything goes. Multi, the, the Roman Empire the, that ruled the world at that time, and yes, they allowed these Jews to have their little culture within their bigger culture. There was a plurality. It was a pluralistic society where you don't preach just one way. Anything goes. You just get along and anything goes. And that's that's exactly what Jesus came to rescue us out of. And so we've got to relearn how to preach the gospel, how to preach the truth, how to preach the truth in love. Okay? One of the reasons why I think maybe, this is just me talking, okay? But one of the reasons why I think that maybe in the last 50 years or my lifetime, and probably a little longer than that, one of the reasons why our Christian message of truth is fallen or begun to fall on deaf ears is because maybe we didn't always preach it in love. That's true. Maybe we didn't always live it in love. If what we live doesn't match what we say, people see a great contradiction. And they're sure not going to believe. But what they will believe is when they see Christ living in us. And maybe we, with all good intentions, we preached this, repent or go to hell. You know, that y'all heard of hellfire and damnation preaching? Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of like the cadence of it. I think it's kind of fun as a preacher. I kind of like to slam your fist every now and then in a pulpit or something. You know, it's just kind (laughs) of... Get their attention, you know. <laughs> but but here's the bottom line. That's just not you. <laughs> here's the bottom line, though. It's it's not about the message. Isn't repent, or God will send you to hell. The message is repent, because God loves you, and if you don't, you're going to send yourself to hell. So here's the real truth. God never sent, never will send anyone to hell. 
And you can just write that down. You can quote me on that. I don't care who disagrees with me. God has never, will not ever send anyone to hell. We send ourselves. It is our choice. We are created free beings. And that's what Jesus presenting truth before them today. He says in here, why don't you understand? Verse 43, why don't you understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. It's not that you can't. It's not, not that you're incapable of hearing. You just won't, is what Jesus is saying. You don't want to hear the truth. Because the truth hurts. Right? That's, that's why the secular conversion over the last 50 years, because that pedal's easier than the hard truth. Absolutely. Yep. It's easier. And so what we have to do as Christians is learn how to pedal this, teach this hard truth in loving ways. And I say we do it by helping people see who, let's go back to the very beginning, the first question of every catechism ever written. The first question should be, who is God? Because that's the big question everybody's asking. Who is God? Well, it ain't going to be yours. It must not be yours because you sure don't live what you believe. And you're not very loving. And that's the way the world sees it. So the question is, who is God? Well, this creed that you have on your card before you was to answer that very question. Who is God? What do we believe about God if we're going to really be Christians? Okay? So let's look at the creed. We believe, and it's vo- it was voiced in the original. I took this translation. Some of you have read it in church. We've said it a few times in our church. You know, some churches use it in every service, and, and absolutely nothing wrong with that, because personally I believe this is spiritual formation. Amen. The more you recite this prayer and you read this prayer, the more you believe it. And that's, that's my profession to the world. So I, if, if I had my way, I'd say it every time I was in worship. But we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. Those four lines right there, I, I, all of this creed on your card, I took as a direct translation from the original Greek. Okay, I can show you where I got it. The Greek words are right there. The Greek alphabet is it's all spelled out, and then it's directly translated, okay? So if you've heard it a little differently in other churches, it's because they've tweaked it along the way. Not always for the bad, but it just sometimes comes out that way in English. Those first four verse, verses, first four lines, are what we want you to know about God. That's what we believe about God, and where the rest of it is going to be about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, okay? Because they... Speak to us about God. Okay, so who is God? We believe he is one. He's the Father Almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. Okay, semicolon. Now what about Jesus? And you could say, and we believe. That's where it's one of the changes in worship. A lot of people say, and we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God. God begotten from the Father before all ages. What did Jesus just say here in John 8? Uh, For I proceeded and came forth from God. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. That's what this is saying. Jesus was begotten from the Father before all ages. What does that mean? Before the world was ever created. Somewhere in eternity. It boggles our mind. Somewhere in eternity. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, 
was begotten by the Father. And we cannot understand that. But here's what we must understand. There never was a time when Jesus was not. He always was. Because that's why it says, and I think that there's another one, uh, there's another, another word that's been added to this as the creed has been, not, I shouldn't say added, but in ways of saying it in English, etern- a lot of times you'll hear this, eternally begotten of the Father before all worlds. That's another way it's written in English sometimes. That, I, the idea of eternality. It's, which, is, which is the truth, you see. We have to get our minds wrapped around something we really cannot even wrap our minds around. Okay, so Jesus is begotten, the begotten Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Jesus is not a created being. He is begotten, but not, not made, not created, Okay. He is of one, and it says, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came into existence. So Jesus and God are of that very same substance. You see? Jesus is God. This is all to combat this Arian heresy. They're just saying, we've got to put it on paper. We've got to put it in, write it in stone for all eternity. This is what we believe as Christians. Through whom all things came to existence. Next line. Who because of us men and because of our salvation came down from the heavens and was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man. Right there it is. You got to believe the virgin birth. You got to believe the incarnation that, that God became human flesh for our sake, for our salvation. Okay, that, that's, that's the truth. And he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father and will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead of whose kingdom there will be no end. That's what you got to believe to be Christian. You got to believe that Jesus died. He suffered and he died. Now we can't say exactly you know, we're not going to say exactly, um, the does, creed doesn't go into all the details of how he suffered, okay? Scripture gives us some in, in, inclinations of how he was whipped by the Romans and things. But the important thing is, is that he suffered and that he died. He was buried. Buried means he died, okay? And that he rose again, okay? There really is a resurrection. We must believe that. And that he, after he rose, he ascended into heaven. And that he sits on the right hand of the Father, which means he rules the world. And that he will come again. It doesn't say how, and it doesn't say when. It doesn't say that in the year 2000, whatever and whatever, when this one world antichrist rules the world, and then Jesus will come again. It doesn't say that. What we need to know as Christians, we can debate over whether there's a... Uh, 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 the, the type of end times, you know, that's a big, big debate within Christianity. But what the creed wants us to know is that Jesus will come again, period. And when he does, guess what? His kingdom will have no end. It's an eternal kingdom. Now, the last few lines. Now, that's where the creed stopped in 325 A.D., right there. That's where it stopped, in 325 A.D., They had not written the lines about the Holy Spirit. There began to be more controversy 
about the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit really God? Is it a person? What is, you know, again, over the first few hundred years, you know, some things, remember, God didn't just drop us an instruction book out of the sky and say, here's all you'll ever need to know. God revealed himself through time and through these uh, apostles and, and the biblical writers so that we would learn to know him. But it's not a dropped out of the sky, here's an instruction book. So theology is the study of God. And theology is being worked out according to what's true and what's not true over time. And so there came a time in the year 381 that they had to define who the Holy Spirit was. And so guess what? They put it in the, they said, let's add it to the creed. Let's add it to the creed. So here's what it says. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the life giver, who proceeds from the Father. That's the same line we heard about Jesus, who proceeds from the Father. Okay? Who proceeds from the Father, and then it says, who with the Father and the Son is together worshipped and together glorified. Who spoke through the prophets. And now the next few lines are about the church. And so they wanted, they needed to say, we need to add something about the church too. Because by now, by 381, you know, just because they wrote a creed, the Arians didn't just go away. You know, they continued to exist for hundreds of years, and there were splits within Christian church, and so they needed to define what is the church. And so the church, they say, uh, and in, we believe, and in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Many, most Protestant churches, it seems like today, many of them, when you read this creed or when they use it in worship, they substitute the word universal. We believe in one universal church of Jesus Christ because they're afraid of the word Catholic because they think it makes them feel Roman Catholic. Roman, the word Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic is what it is. It's a Roman version of the universal church that developed over a few centuries, okay? It's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is truly Catholic because Catholic means universal, meaning the church of Jesus extends everywhere in our world. Okay, it's universal. And they say it is apostolic. What does that mean? What does it mean to say that the church is apostolic? That we believe in one God. That we, that, no, it means that the church, this is the very faith handed down from the apostles. Apostolic. The yeah. apostles, oh, yeah. what we're trying to say about Jesus, what they're saying when they wrote this creed in 381, this part, they're saying what we're teaching you is what the apostles taught us. Mm -hmm. How do we know that? Because guess what? We know that already in the Bible we hear of men like Clement and Timothy and people that were successors of the apostles. And we know from history that there are guys like Polycarp and Ignatius, very first bishops worshiping in the churches around 110 AD, who were themselves trained in the faith by disciples of John himself who wrote the book we're studying. So it's an apostolic faith handed down. Just study it. Okay? There's no, in other words, there's no new grand discovery or teachings. It's apostolic. It's the faith of the apostles. And then it says, we confess one baptism to the remission of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That's the Christian faith. That's the symbol of faith. 
That is what, if you were going to be baptized into the Christian faith, this is what you had to say amen to. What does the word amen mean? It means, so be it. It's a difficult word to translate. Like you agree or you're confirmed? The best we can discern is that it's like you agree. Let it be, so be it, this is truth. That's the best we can determine it. But St. Augustine always said, the Latin and the Greek just don't translate it well. That's why in all the early scriptures, whether they were Latin or Greek, they just used the Hebrew word, amen, amen. Amen, as you would say it in Hebrew. Amen, amen. Jesus in the Gospel of John over and over says, amen, amen. You read it in your modern English and a lot of times it just says, truly, truly. King James said, verily, verily. St. Augustine said, not going to translate it. It's just leave it there. It's a Hebrew, kind of a mystical word. It just is, you know. Um, so what they're saying is... Um, let it be so. Let it be so. That's what you had to... You had to confess this or you weren't baptized into the Christian faith, into the Christian church. There were other churches out there. Always have been, like I say. But there is really only one true church. And so that, as a church of the Nazarene, who are we? Who are we believe this? That's right. That's we have believe. to believe. If we don't believe this, I'm leaving. Okay. Me too. But you can open our manual in the first few pages of the historical statement of our church. It says we accept all the creeds of the first five Christian centuries. It's right there. We confess, and it says we confess ourselves to be a part of the one true apostolic church. church. So that 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 is us. Okay. We may look a little different. We may not have all the other forms of teachings because we're only 100 years old in terms of, uh, you know, our discussion. The Nazarene Church, the Wesleyan movement, it, it seems much simpler than things like the Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church or, the, or the, uh, even the, the Presbyterian Church or something that's been around for 500 years to 2,000 years, okay? They've had a lot more time to think about theology and develop theology and develop different church traditions and things. But the essence of our faith is the same, and that's why we can stay. My, 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 I can have a cousin sitting here at the table who's a Presbyterian. I can have a cousin sitting here at the table who's a Roman Catholic. I can have a cousin sitting here at the table who's a Baptist. And guess what? We all agree Amen. on these tenets of the Christian faith, and that's what makes us brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. And that's what I believe makes us the church. So... Let us hold fast to those creeds. Jesus, John, is, John believed that he's writing it right here. These are mysteries that John is talking about when he says, in, when he puts the words into, into Christ in this dialogue that says, for I proceeded and came forth from God. Let us never forget that that's, this is God's story. This isn't John's story. This is God's story as inspired to be written through John. But we take it as holy and inspired because... This is what God, this is the truth God wanted to communicate to us. So I could go on and on about that kind of stuff, but let me, let me, uh, let me try and finish this first six verses we talked about. So Jesus says, you don't understand because you don't want to hear. You cannot bear. You cannot bear to hear is what Jesus says here. You can't bear to hear it. it, it, it did you know you can shut your mind to truth? Sure. You can just shut your mind to it. You can pretend it's not very safe and I don't recommend it but you can do it and if you do it long enough guess what happens you, believe it. you start to believe the lie that's exactly right you start to believe the lie psychological truth there 
So Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, verse 44, and your will is to do your father's desires. Man, those are fighting words. That's mean. That's just mean. That's like, I look at you and say, you're satanic. <laughs> That's just mean. But, but Jesus is doing it in love. He's not trying to be mean. We hear it as mean. He's not trying to be He's just calling it the way it is. It's the truth. And if you don't tell the truth, then that's not loving. To withhold the truth is to not really love. Because we need the truth. Jesus said in verse 32, the truth is what's going to set us free. So he says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth and there's no truth in him. Who is the devil? The the Greek word for the devil that we find in John's writing here is, uh, lost my, here it is, is this word right here. I'll write it for you. Diabolos. Diabolos, that's the Greek word. You heard of diabolos before? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I th- when I hear that word, I think of this kind of wet Western movie where there was this godforsaken town in the middle of New Mexico or something called Diablos or something. Hot barbecue sauce. There you go. I don't know why. But it's actually Greek, okay? And, and it means, it means literally the one who lies. It's The literal term in the Greek is the one who slanders. What does it mean to slander? You can, to slander is to ruin someone else. Okay? To lie in such a way that you want to ruin them. That's slander. Okay? That's what it means. The devil, he's, he's the father of everyone that wants to ruin you. There are two fathers in this world. One's the good father, our God, and one's the father of lies. Which one do you want to be part of? Father of lies. There's no truth in him. None. Not even a little. Nothing. There's no good in Satan. Okay? He chose to go to the dark side, to use my Star Wars analogy. <laughs> He chose to go to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, I love Star Wars. If you haven't watched that movie, you know, if you, you don't understand, it's such a, it's such a, there's such scriptural metaphors in it and it talks about the yeah. kingdoms of good and evil and light and dark and, and that's, you know, and there's this battle within uh, Luke Skywalker if he's going to go to the dark side or not, you know, in the, in the original. Because we know his father, Darth Vader, actually did go to the dark side. You learn in the later movies how that was the original, you know, story. He was this cool little kid named Anakin Skywalker, and I, I don't have time to go into all that. But our son Corbin has some incredible movie podcasts that he can explain it all to you. <laughs> you can look that up on his silverscreenguide.com. He has a silver screen guide. He does movie reviews. But anyway... And it says that very important line here in verse um, 44, the last part. When he lies, talking about the devil here. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature. His own nature. It doesn't just say his nature. It says his own nature. And there's a little Greek word there. That own, is, and it's this word. O-U. And that is not the Sooners. <laughs> and in no way means the Sooners of Oklahoma, okay? O-U, it's pronounced oo, okay? And it, it, it shows us that that nature is beyond dispute. It is a, it, you, you, this is a fact that cannot be changed, a truth. The devil can do nothing but lie. He cannot tell the truth. It's his own nature, okay? Can't be disputed is what that little word in the Greek means. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Jesus is giving them that title, the father of lies. I mean, he just this is where lies... Okay, we need to stop and talk about this for a minute. I can tell you right now, we're not going to finish this chapter today. Uh, but this is really important. Why does Jesus call him the father of lies? Let's think about Satan. In the, the scripture teaches us in the Old Testament that Satan was actually an angel. An angel of light. All angels. The angels were good. The angels are created beings. Okay? We don't know a whole lot about angels. Okay? Just like we really don't know a whole lot about anything when it comes down and to his it. his name was Lucifer. But his name was Lucifer, according to the scriptures, and he was created, and he was a mighty angel. He was a captain angel. Sometimes we call them archangels or archangels. But we also know from scripture that he led a rebellion in heaven. He got it in his heart, if the devil has a heart. I don't know. That's probably a weird <laughs> theological statement. I don't know if angels have hearts, but it is, these are human thoughts. You know, like when we talk about God, God cries or God's hands. These are human ways to think about something we can't real that isn't human. Okay, so in the devil's heart, he decided to rebel against God, to become like God, to take over God's place. And in that rebellion, he must have been a great liar because he got a third of the angels to go with him. And we don't even know what that number is, but when the scripture tells us that, it means it's a number too big to contemplate. Okay, because there's no end to numbers. Talked about that with infinity last time we were together. So a third of infinity, <laughs> a third of the number of angels. Uh, there's a, there is probably a concrete number of angels that God created. Nobody just knows what it is. Uh, but whatever it is, a third of them went with him. And what does it say that God did? When he rebelled. Cast him out. Cast him out of heaven. Cast him out of heaven and all those who wanted to go with him. Now, was the devil free to do that? Was it the devil's choice to rebel? Yes. He had free will. So what we're saying is that he had free will too. Apparently all the angels had free will. Everything created has free will. If the devil didn't have free will. And there, believe me, there are some Christians that believe that you and I do not have free will. There are some Christians that believe that. Okay, We would differ with them greatly there. Would. It's a high Calvinistic thought of theology, which I've gone into in other podcasts. We don't have time to go into it now. But, but if that were true, just get, go with me for a minute. If it were true that the devil didn't have free will and that you and I don't have free will, what in our decision? It was preordained then by who? God. Had to be God. He's the only, only, only one before all this creation was God. So then God had to preordain the way of evil. Amen. Thank you for saying no and objecting to that. Because that's a horrible thought. Because that cannot be God. Remember when I said the way we're going to preach, the way we're going to teach the truth in love going forward in this pluralistic society that we're in is to teach people who is God. Because that's the biggest problem. The reason they don't believe is because they don't know who God is. And they're not seeing him in us well enough. Our lives aren't, and our words aren't matching up well enough. But who is God? God is love and God is light. Those are the two metaphors that John, the very person we're studying his book, writes about so often. God is love and God is light. And he says in that 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. No, not even the tiniest ray of darkness or whatever darkness is, it's not a ray. You see what I'm trying to say? There is no darkness in him. God is light and God is love. So, therefore, 
if God is light and God is love, to cast Satan out of heaven was a loving act, not a vengeful, mean, retribution type of act, right? To cast him out of heaven was love. Now follow me with this train of thought for a minute. If you, I, I'm just going to try and put it in human terms here. If, if Debbie, if you just don't like me, okay, now I hope that's not true. I don't believe that's true. <laughs> but if you just can't stand me, okay, you, you, you don't want to say it, but you really hate me, okay? To spend eternity with me, what's the best word you could find for that? Ugh. Hell. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> Beyond words. <laughs> okay? If you hate God, if you just can't stand God, well, that's hell to be with Him. Well, guess what? God's, God's love. He's going to give you what you want. Then don't be with me. Okay? And that's why it was loving for God to cast Satan out of heaven. And ultimately, if you or I or whoever, anyone ends up in this place, we... Think of as hell that we read about in Scripture. There's a whole other long study on what that might really be, but the idea is, what, if we know anything about it, it is pain, agony, torture, anguish, anguish, darkness. These are all biblical descriptors, okay? Torture. Lost. And what could be more torturing? Lost. What could be more torturing than to be with the one you can't stand forever. Now, so would it be more torture to have to be with the one you don't want forever? Or would it be less torture to actually send them away so they never, ever, ever, ever have to think or see about God again? Now think about that. I'm going to challenge you a little bit here to what your thinking thoughts on hell are. I believe, after years, some years of deep, deep study on this subject, that I believe sometimes we might just want to have to change our thoughts a little bit on what we think of hell. That everyone, at the end of time, will still be able to be somehow in the presence of God, or see God, or somehow, whatever that analogy is. But for some, it will be hell. For some, it will be joy forever. We won't have the same experience, I'm not saying that, but look at the words of Jesus himself in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 16, when Jesus himself is reminding us of the death experience of a rich man named, uh, uh, I guess he doesn't give us his name, he's just a rich man, and the poor beggar man named Lazarus, and they both end up dying, okay, and one is in paradise, the beggar goes to paradise, and the rich man's in Hades, but they both see. They both can understand the experience that part of the there's, it's, scripture says there's a chasm so deep that you can't cross over but they both have the experience of paradise one from a torturous point one from a joyful point. So just, just throwing that out there. I know it's deep stuff isn't it? Hard to think about but it's there. It really is. Now if you really want to take this a step further we don't have time to in this Bible study because I'm already out of time. <laughs> but if you ever want to challenge your thoughts on hell, read a document. 
that was written in 1980 by an Eastern Orthodox PhD, not a priest, but a professor, and he wrote a document called The River of Fire. The River of Fire. His name is Alexander Kilaramos. You can just Google River of Fire. I guarantee you'll get it. Okay. Came out in 1980. And it was a document. It's not a book. It, it will take you a couple hours to read. It's several pages. I mean, it's, it's deep. And it's deep. It'll take you several hours because you're going to want to read it over and over. And you're going to get out your pencil. And you, my, my, what I want you to do is just read it all the way through. And then go back and start reading it again with a pencil and a pen or something. Very challenging. But I tell you, it makes sense when you get to the very end. Okay, especially when we have to think of what, who is God? That's the number one question, everybody. Who is God? God is light, God is love. In Him there is no darkness at all. God is just, God is true, all of these things. Well, we, we just, we read through six verses here. Um, the last thought we'll throw out here. Jesus says, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Nobody can convict Jesus of sin. He's just standing to their face. You can't name one sin that I've committed. And they know it. If he who is of God hears the words of God, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let us be sure. Let us close today with this understanding. Let us be sure that we hear God. Because we need to be people of the light, Amen. people of love, people that are part of the family of God. Uh, boy, there's so much there. Uh, closing thoughts or questions? I'm going to close there. We'll pick up on the next section and finish chapter 8 next time. Closing thoughts and questions. Yes? Uh, over here it says, when he likes, he speaks his native language. What does that mean? That means that's the metaphor for his own, when I said he speaks his own nature, yours says native language, meaning that's who he, that's his being, that's who he is. He can't do anything but lie. It's his very own nature. That's what that means. Good. I believe, Great question. Well, I kind of believe you can live a little bit of heaven or a little bit of hell on earth. Absolutely. And I think it starts when you have your conversion that your heaven begins because... Absolutely. Uh, you, you you come into the light, and even though we're still here on earth, I still feel like I walked into a little bit of hell. Amen. Amen. Don't lose that thought, because we're going to talk about that very thought on the next section. That's a good thought. Very good thought. Well, to me, hell would be living without uh, being able to live with Christ. Without, yeah, without that experience. I'm telling you, I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to think about it either. I'm well, about whether I'm, I'm, will be accepted into heaven. I'm, I was a sinner. I was. And I, I want to leave you with a, a thought of assurance. Okay, don't ever take your salvation for granted, but don't ever doubt it in fear. Yeah. And, and that sounds like a dichotomy of thought. Don't take your salvation for granted, but don't. Whatever I just said, you know, I mean, it's hard to repeat the same thing yeah. twice. You know, when you don't have it in your notes. don't doubt it in fear. Yeah. yeah, don't doubt it in fear. I knew a little late, a little lady in our church from where we came from, where um, best little lady that loved the Lord that you uh -huh. ever want. Every 
church, she had her little hanky yeah. and she was waving it. She'd always go to the altar for everything. I was working in a nursing home where she went to, mm. and her biggest demon was she was afraid she wasn't going to make it into heaven. And this makes me so sad. Yeah. This makes me so sad because I, I had not that same experience, but I knew of a little lady here in this church when I first came, and I was a young man in my 20s, and I, that was kind of what she said to me one day. And I thought, oh, this breaks my heart. And I didn't, I didn't know nearly as much as I know then, now, then as I know now, and I don't know very much now, but the point is, what I have learned is that the doctrine of assurance is not to be taken for granted, but it's not to be shunned either. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says, John says, the same guy we're studying, and we've studied the whole book of 1 John before, so you've heard this before. These things I have written that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? That's the doctrine of assurance. That's why I can say... Do you love Jesus? Do you love him with all your heart? Are you trying to love him with all your heart? Then I believe we can have the assurance of heaven. But let's don't take that for granted and say, oh, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, it don't matter. Because when we start taking things for granted, then our love grows cold. (coughs) You with me? So we're going to talk about this idea of never dying and the experience Jesus talks about it at the end of this discourse. And the last of the chapter next week. So thank you. Good thoughts. Any other questions? Thoughts? Comments? Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Father, for this class. Thank you for their willingness to come and to think deeply about their faith. To think deeply about the things of you. Your nature, your love, your light, your kingdom. And Father, I pray that your word would be planted in us deeply, that we would sense that we are children of kingdom of the Father, our Father God, the one true God, and that through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we lift this up in the the beautiful name of the most holy trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you, our Father, along with the Holy Spirit, forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.